welcome to this week's episode of the Life Group Leader Podcast. As always, your hosts, Pastor Hayden, Pastor Evan. We here at Compass Bible Church exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do here, including this podcast, is to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. We just started a brand new series entitled Kingdom Happiness. We'll spend the next Oh, three to four months in the series, uh, including the Easter series that we have coming up in the Kingdom Happiness series. So we'll take a few weeks break between Easter and guest preaching, but we're going to be here for a couple of months talking about what it means to be happy in God's kingdom. And the first sermon was entitled Poor in Spirit. Pastor Evan, would you do the honors? It's kind of a long text, so I have to summarize it. Okay. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There you go. There it is. There you go. All right, well, Pastor Hayden, what was the main point of this sermon as we see, okay, blessed, happy are those in poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's the, what's the point? The point here is Jesus is showing the world that genuine happiness does not come from circumstances and external riches, but belongs to those people who are poor in spirit, that recognize their need for Christ and enter his kingdom because they take him up on his offer of gift, his offer of the gift of mercy. And so in the preaching point, I said it like this, kingdom happiness belongs to those who own up to their spiritual poverty and give themselves over to the riches of Christ. So before we jump into the the questions, um, you mentioned how God wants us to be happy. What do you Mm. mean? God wants us to be happy. He is the God of the universe, but he is also uh, the leader of the kingdom of God. He is the government head of the kingdom of God. And as I said in my sermons, uh, any king and any sovereign who is uh, benevolent, who is good and perfect, would desire his kingdom citizens to be happy. Now, when it comes to God's economy, happiness may look different in the sense of the worldly expectation for happy based on circumstances and the happiness that God desires his kingdom subjects to have, which is based on their identity as children of God and residents of the kingdom of heaven. But at the end of the day, we got to recognize that God desires his people to be kingdom happy, that is, happy in regard to their spiritual status as children of God. All right, and one more question before we jump into the points for us as life group leaders. What is what is the Greek word for the word blessed in Matthew, and what does it really mean to be blessed? Makarios. Makarios is the Greek word for blessed, and it means happy. It means blessed. It means fortunate. There's some good synonyms, definitions for you. So life group leaders, this is a helpful word to know. Blessed means happy. And uh, for a little fact for you to be able to help your life group in case they ask, there is actually no real word in the English definition, uh, English language, excuse me, to define the makarios. But in other languages, there are. uh, But English is not one of them. And that's why it makes it difficult. You say that. And we have to define that because they said, well, I thought you just said the word, the definition is happy. So what do you mean? What I mean by that is that in other cultures, it's like, for example, love. We have a word for love where, you know, you love coffee. You Mm. love, I think you like pizza, right? Yeah, I ate pizza last night. You love pizza, but you also love Kayla and you love Titus. Right. Same word, different levels of affection. 
in Greek, there's six words to describe love. Mm -hmm. And so, so kind of, kind of illustrate the point is other languages like Greek, for example, having six love words, we have one. So their language is more exact. Yes, their language is more. Yeah, thank you. Language is more exact than. And ours. we can use the word like happy, but we have to define it in context of what we're talking about when it comes to being happy. I'm happy to have a happy meal, and I'm happy right. to be married. Right. There's but, there's a degree that's different. Right. Right. That's good. All right. All right. Thank you for that help right there. All right, Pastor Hayden. Point, point number one was to expect kingdom happiness. You already started to define it already, but what is the difference between worldly happiness and kingdom happiness? Worldly happiness is primarily concerned with circumstantial happiness. That is happiness derived from events in your life that give you a mountaintop experience, uh, which is, we all like that, don't we? I mean, don't we like mountaintop experiences that make us happy? We talk about all good things from come from God, and so all the blessings that we receive do come from God. Uh, but I don't believe, and I don't think Scripture makes it clear, that we are not to derive the consistent state of happiness from worldly circumstances. And so as the world thinks of happiness as circumstantial, uh, based upon the outcome of an event or uh, a stage of my life, kingdom happiness is based primarily on on our position in God's kingdom, our position as saved through Christ and heirs of the kingdom of God. So that kind of happiness is much more consistent. It's stable because it belongs with a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so uh, instead of circumstantial, our happiness is positional. And so we have a positional happiness when the world can only offer a circumstantial happiness that will always end up leading to bankruptcy, at least is what my sermon uh, was alluded to there, and the kind of consistent positional happiness in God's kingdom will never be bankrupt. It'll always bring a return on the investment. All right. Well, those who get the return investment are those who are poor in spirit, and something we discussed this week is how these are attributes that are already possessed by people. Right. Um, but how how can we lead a life group? How does one become poor in spirit? Like, I want to be poor in spirit, but how do I do that? Right. And it can be maybe hard to define depending on uh, how you begin this conversation. But it is important to note that the Beatitudes aren't about be this so you can get this. I mean, Jesus, were, Jesus was making the point that this is your state. This describes who you are. And this is the reward for that. And so blessed, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. And so that's a present reality. The poor in spirit receive the kingdom of God. And so this, you shouldn't look at it as, well, if I become poor in spirit, I will receive the kingdom, which I do think there's room there for that. And the reality is that anyone who will not become poor in spirit will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I do believe that there is this also room to say, how can I be poor in spirit? Well, it's recognizing that you are broken and you are in need of deliverance, recognizing that you have nothing good to offer God to enter into the kingdom that he has prepared, uh, and that just like the church in Laodicea, that Jesus says, you need to recognize that you are wretched, pitiable, naked, poor, and blind, and you need me to remove those from your life. All right. Well, next kind of next question that I wrote down to help us as life group leaders is, 
how can we answer someone? Why does God care that his people are happy? We even were asked that a little bit. Like, I don't think God really cares about our happiness. Well, that's partially true. Right. Why does God care about us being happy? Well, I do think that what I was talking about earlier with the sovereign leader of uh, his kingdom, that God desires that his subjects and his citizens be happy. I don't think that there is very much of an argument you can make there that a God does not want a kingdom full of unhappy people. He wants a kingdom of happy people. And uh, I think that's very clear. Uh, and the good news about the kingdom is the good news of the kingdom is people aren't going to be happy in the kingdom of God because of their pride and arrogance. And so there's not going to be this temptation for circumstantial happiness in the kingdom of God because all those people have already come to an end of themselves. So all the happiness that they will enjoy would be kingdom happiness, happiness derived from their relationship with God in Christ. Do you see, do you see that? I mean, that's a wonderful way to, to look at the kingdom. There won't be any of this... Uh, there, any of this spiritual bankruptcy kind of happiness, because all of nobody like that gets into the kingdom, and so the happiness that will be enjoyed in the kingdom when Christ comes is a perfect kind of happiness, and also should be exercised in our local church. That the extent of our happiness in the local church should not just become circumstantial happiness, but a disposition of our position in God's kingdom that creates in us a real happiness to be a part of God's people. And God's kingdom. Awesome. Well, Pastor Aiden, point number two was for us to admit our spiritual bankruptcy. All right. So when we do that, how do I know? I guess my question is, sorry, what does my life look like when I am poor in spirit? And when I actually admit I'm spiritually bankrupt, what does that even look like? Well, I mean, you've come to an end of yourself. And so if you still get, if you still think you have more in the tank to prove that you somehow deserve something and merit something from God uh, based on your goodness, you're not there yet. And so for your life to look poor in spirit, I really like the word picture. You're in your spirit, like inside, internally. Do you recognize there you are done, like you are done for, and there's nothing left for you but to come to Christ? Now, I mean, that's what... Internally, it looks like. Externally, it's recognizing a lot like Zacchaeus, uh, who had a lot of things going for him on the outside, at least, I didn't say morally good, but he did have a lot of things going for him. Uh, it came to an end of himself and received salvation in Christ, uh, and that on the outside looked like making amends, making things right, make, uh, making it very obvious to other people that he has not been in the right this whole time, that he has been in the wrong. So there's a fruit of the a poor in spirit, and that may be a lot of what it looks like for somebody to uh, to be like Zacchaeus, and that could be what it looks like externally. But definitely internally, it means that you've come to an end of yourself, and the only thing left for you is Jesus. What were some of the other examples that you gave? So us as life group leaders, we can have those ready at hand to kind of illustrate what it looks like for someone to be poor in spirit. One of them being, you know, Zacchaeus. Yeah. Well, honestly, it doesn't take a lot of flipping through the Gospels to find so many occasions like this, which is exactly what I did. You'll notice that almost all of mine are in Matthew because I just flipped through them pretty quick and found two of them in, you know, a chapter. Uh, the leper in Matthew 8 is a good one who recognized his poor and pitiful uh, circumstance and recognized that he needed Christ for healing. The woman with the discharge of blood in Matthew 9, who did the same thing. The two blind men outside of Jericho in Matthew 20, verses 30 and 34. And they recovered their sight because the Lord had mercy on them, and they followed him. So that one, along with Zacchaeus in Luke 19. 
are the four examples that I used of people who recognized their own poverty and cried out to Jesus in humility, which showed their impoverished spirits that their external maladies truly did uh, match their internal maladies. And even even with Zacchaeus, although externally uh, he had some things, in reality he found all of those through ill-gotten gain, and so he really wasn't looked upon highly in his society either, which shows that, man, if this is what life is, I don't want this. And so the inward realities also matched his external realities in a lot of ways uh, where they admitted their spiritual bankruptcy and followed Christ. And one more, you mentioned in Mark 10, 13 to 31, you had oh, yeah? the, the kids um, you had the and the two rich people. young ruler. Yeah, they were mirrors, opposite mm-hmm. mirrors. You had the children and the rich young man. I guess quickly, uh, you know, life group leaders, I refer you back to Pastor Hayden's sermon, uh, but quickly, how does the children and the rich young man show what it means to be spiritually poor and not spiritually poor? Yeah, children were not only on the bottom rung of society in that culture, uh, they are also in utter need of their parents to provide for them in every single way. And so Jesus makes it clear, these are the people I want in my kingdom, people who would receive the kingdom like these children, those who see their need and can admit their spiritual bankruptcy. And uh, the same thing you, that you see there is what you don't see in the next pericope with the young man who basically summed it up by saying, I'm good enough. You know, I'm not, I'm not spiritually bankrupt. I'm actually spiritually ready to go on my own. And that was a sad, I mean, that was heartbreaking. Yeah, it's a heartbreaking reality that he didn't see just how blind he was and how poor he was. And uh, you know, that, that kind of person will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And those, that's a really good juxtaposition of the two realities of people who will enter the kingdom and people who won't. All right. Well, the next question um, for our life group leaders I thought might be helpful is to help us answer the question, how can I be happy when I see my bankruptcy more and more? I mean, I think about it, the more I see my sin, I'm not as happy as I am. I call this a kingdom paradox. And it, and you know, that's, you may say that, and maybe you're just trying to set up the question, but man. I'm just setting up the question. Uh, when I realize is how bad I am, I just, when I think about my kingdom realities, I'm like, man, I do get happier. Because I realize there is nothing about me that can receive any more in the kingdom than what Christ has already purchased for me on the cross. Now, I'm not talking about there, there won't be rewards in heaven, but I'm saying that I get there not based on me, but based on Christ. And that, I just find so much joy and satisfaction in my own life, realizing that seeing my spiritual bankruptcy is the reason that I'm even invited into the kingdom, and to see those realities and to recognize that I I get to enjoy God's kingdom because of what Christ has done for me, Um, I think it's such a wonderful gift. Not that we should sin more so we can see more of our bankruptcy, but it could be a continual reminder that you you didn't get into the kingdom based on your goodness, like the young man tried to do. You were you were invited into the kingdom for one reason and one reason only. Christ and his riches. Something I heard a pastor once say is that Christians are the most mournful and joyful people in the world because mm. the more that they, from salvation, they see their sin for the first time and are morally bankrupt and are mournful, but then see the forgiveness and mercy finally with clarity and are joyful because they have it. And they, as they grow more and more in their life, the more they understand their sin and the more they mourn their sin because of a greater understanding, 
understanding. And then further, the more joyful they are, because like you were saying, they get to see the forgiveness and mercy and the kingdom participation that they get to have because of Christ. And mm-hmm. so that's the kingdom paradox that we wanted to set you guys up for, life group leaders. Now, two more questions in our point number two. Um, next question, Pastor Hinn, for you is, how should kingdom happiness change the way I view the world or even my own present circumstances that I face? Kingdom happiness doesn't mean that you don't mourn. It doesn't mean that you don't despair, uh, but it means that you don't do those things without hope and a good realization of what God has provided you now and what is coming in the future. I think of um, the scripture uh, in the New Testament that talks about we can mourn when those have died, but we mourn with those who have hope. And so that's a kingdom reality that we do not mourn as the world mourns, because when you die, you die, and there's nothing left. Um, when people die, we mourn We mourn with hope. Well, where does that hope derive from? Kingdom realities. And that should give you a great joy and happiness of the fact that those who have lost, you have lost, you will meet again. Uh, it doesn't mean you don't despair when bad things happen, uh, but it does mean that your life does not hinge on circumstances. Your life hinges on your position in the kingdom of God, which should give you utmost consistency in your joy and in your happiness. I used the example of the things that I went through. I think I talked about it in the eleven, uh, the nine, not the eleven, but you know, with the church issues as far as like the window being broken out, and then the someone breaking into our church, and then you know, my alternator going out of my car. It's like I, there was not a moment where I was where I wasn't the same consistent happiness that whole time. And it was wonderful that my happiness did not have anything to do with my circumstances, but had everything to do with my position in God's kingdom. Because as I looked at all these things, I'm like, these things are temporary anyway. You know, these things are all going to, they're all going to poop out eventually anyway. Like if, you know, if, if I'm sitting here waiting for something bad to happen and, and wondering, oh, well, I'm not going to be happy when something bad happens. Well, you're just not going to be happy all the time. I mean, if my alternator wasn't going to go out then, it was going to go out sometime. I mean, what are the odds that every window in this church is never going to be broken? Pretty slim, you know? I mean, what are the odds that, that your house is not going to have an issue? Pretty slim. And if you're wait, if you're only going to be happy when something bad doesn't happen, that's a really, really, really poor uh, definition of uh, happiness. And I guess a very inadequate happiness that you have. The kingdom happiness that God desires us to have isn't based upon circumstances but on our positional uh, realities in God's kingdom family. And it's something you mentioned in the, I think the 9 a.m. at least was, you know, what our, our happiness will derive from the source. And if our source is small, our happiness will be small, limited yeah. and small. But if the source is God, it's limitless. Right. And it's... Yeah, Psalm 1611 is a good, yeah, a good reference for that idea. All right. Well, last question on point number two how should viewing the church as the present kingdom change the way that we approach the local church? How can we help our life groups in this? Yeah, and maybe we can dialogue a little bit about this, because I think there's so much to say here. Uh, And I think the first point that needs to be made is you must biblically see the church as a present kingdom reality. Explain more. Okay, when, and I said it in the sermon, so go back and and reference the sermon uh, when it comes to the details here, but that... Christ founded the church as the first fruits of the kingdom of heaven. And so in a very real, tangible way, 
the church is the expression of the kingdom that is coming, and it already, in a lot of ways, has arrived through Christ, through the apostles' work, through the first century, and ongoing through the local church. And so you should have a great happiness in the local church simply because it's real tangible proof that not only that Jesus came, but that he's coming back and he's giving us the kingdom because you have it in the local church. This isn't just a random organization. You know, this isn't uh, this isn't an institution that is uh, a, a created off the whim of a couple of people's desires to create a gathering space. I mean, this is literally an expression of the kingdom. It's a kingdom outpost on earth. Like, do you know the definition of an outpost? Tell me. An outpost is literally a uh, a place uh, that is governed by a, a, a nation or a place that they actually do not uh, own outright the part of it. Like Antarctica, for instance, has no legal claims for any nations. Now, I know you can look up articles that tell you uh, they're all, almost all of the major countries in the world have laid claim to it, but there is an actual, there is a document that says this land belongs to all of us, but none of us. But all of those countries have outposts there that they have uh, rule and control over. Well, but although the, there are no flags that fly over Antarctica that says this this continent belongs to this country, in the same way we're kingdom outposts, uh, America is not governed by God as its uh, as its ruler. As a matter of fact, the world that we understand in Scripture is been given over to Satan. We read that even a couple of weeks ago. But all over the world are kingdom outposts, churches that fly the flag and the banner of Christ who are under the rule and the reign of Christ. So when people look at these outposts, they see true realities of the kingdom of heaven expressed in real time through the body of believers, particularly here at Compass. So why are you so adamant and passionate about us as a church being joyful? Because it seems to be a really poor testimony that God would deliver a people for himself and that they would just look bummed out every day. Like being a Christian who is about to inherit the, who is in, has the down payment of that inheritance through the Holy Spirit and the participation of the body of believers, uh, who is in the future going to receive the fullness of that inheritance through the kingdom reigned by Christ would just live bummed out lives. It just that that doesn't seem compatible with the kingdom realities that scripture preaches. And so we should be adamant about saying, hey, there should be a, just an unusual optimism in the local church because of the realities that we have promised us in Christ. Uh, not saying we don't mourn, not saying that there aren't real troubles in our world, especially when it comes to the Christian faith. But we, like the, the group of people in the book of Hebrews, can be joyful and joyfully participate even in persecution and the plundering of their homes because they recognize they have a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that they recognize they have something that can't be taken away. Uh, Hebrews 10, and it says that they can be happy and joyful because they know they have a better possession and an abiding one. And so your circumstances shouldn't take away from the unusual optimism that you should have as a Christian. And finally, what does it mean 
then with our interpersonal relations with people in the church? What what counsel would you give us as life group leaders to kind of convey to the people of our life groups to say, this is the disposition and attitude that we need to have with one another? Yeah, I think you should start with the one another's, love one another, John 13, 34, be devoted to one another, Romans 12, 10, honor one another above yourselves, Romans 12, 10, live in harmony with one another, Romans 12, 16, build up one another, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. Can I just keep going. Right? The one another should be the, uh, the, the rule of our church, which it is because the rule of our church is Christ, and this is the word that's given to us. Comfort one another, teach one another, encourage one another, stir up one another, show hospitality to one another, pray for one another. I mean, this is so much of what kingdom realities are, and so interpersonal relationships should be governed by kingdom principles. And our church should be governed by these things. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We don't see that going on a lot. And we got to make sure that the world's definition of how we are treating each other doesn't take over. That the kingdom principles of how we live with one another uh, is the uh, litmus test of our residency in the kingdom, that our church represents these things well, uh, which can you imagine, what does a community look like when they love one another, honor one another, build up one another, uh, care for one another? That's a happy community. So a happy community is not a grumbling, complaining com- community. Yep. Right? You mentioned no that doubt. at 9 a.m. Yeah. All right. Any final words on that before we're going to point number three? Think that, I think I'm good. All right. Point number three, life group leaders, was to set your mind on the kingdom of heaven. And so, Pastor Hayden, where can we learn more about the kingdom of heaven? In the Bible. There you go. <laughs> no, definitely read the Bible. I think Revelation's a great place, a great place for you. You know, uh, you don't have to be apocalyptic to love Revelation. I know Revelation. Isaiah in the 60s, Isaiah. I think Isaiah. 60 to 66. Yeah, chapter 60 to 66 are great. I mean, read the Gospel of Matthew. I mean, it's all about the kingdom. If you have Logos, I encourage you to use the search feature and uh, go to the search feature and then put uh, in uh, quotes, kingdom of God. And if you do that, it'll pull up all of the references to the kingdom of God uh, in the Bible. And then at the very top, you can actually, uh, you can narrow it down to uh, different places in the Bible. And I would just encourage you to stay in the go- stay in the gospels. And it shows you all the, all the times Jesus uses the term kingdom of God or and you'll learn so much about the, what the kingdom realities are based on what Jesus is saying about that. I'm doing it right now. And there are 52 verses in the Gospels that specifically reference the kingdom of God. I think that's a helpful place to start. And what is maybe another resource that kind of takes all the biblical data and puts it in one? I know one, uh, Heaven by Randy Alcorn is a helpful resource. Yeah, that's a good one. Do you have any ones in, outside of Heaven? Uh, if, if you know, it's all good. I mean, I was reading a, the book on progressive dispensationalism that I thought was helpful to frame our understanding of the kingdom of God also within the framework of the local church. But, you know, that's a that's a more intense read. Who's that by? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually looking it up right now. I have it. I have it here if you give me. Give me like a few well, seconds. I'll give you a few seconds. But yeah, yeah, I recommend Randy Alcorn's Heaven. It's a helpful book that he takes all the biblical data that we have of what eternity uh, will look like and something to look forward to. But as Pastor Hayden said, 
make sure we're grounded in what Scripture has to say about what the kingdom uh, is going to look like and something that we get to look forward to. So, Oh, this was by Daryl Bach and Craig Blasing. And so, what was the really long title again? Uh, oh, progressive dispensationalism. Oh, I thought there was like a really long subtitle that you mentioned. No, okay, no, that was it. All right, last question: What habits can we put into place to remember the kingdom, um, especially when life gets hard or amazing circumstantially? So, cir- circumstantially difficult mm-hmm. or circumstantially amazing? How can we? What okay. habits can we put in place? Well, let me give you one that I think is really going to help you a lot, and that's just your basic spiritual disciplines. Like, I, I don't think your magic bullet here is to do this one thing that you shouldn't already be doing. I believe that if uh, you are making your commitment to church community a habit, if you are making your daily Bible reading a habit, and you're making your prayer life a habit or a spiritual discipline, that you are disciplined in those things, and that you are participating within the body of Christ and enjoying one another— and making sure you're fulfilling the one another's, I think that that's going to help you set your mind on the kingdom of heaven uh, in a way that you could not do any other way. Uh, And it won't depend on your circumstances so much. And I love that. Uh, You know, I I use so many examples in notes in my sermon that I didn't even put on, but it's like, okay, uh, let's say your house burned down. Well, what did Jesus say? What happens for those who leave house and home and and father and, and mother and all those things? For his name's sake. For his name's sake. Be repaid a hundredfold. But but when? In this time, and the time to come, eternal life. I may, If my house burns down, how many homes do I have at Compass Bible Church? A hundred. hundred. Okay, okay. So it's like, do you, you realize what I'm saying here? It's like my circumstance has little to do with my actual well-being here, because whatever happens, if I run out of food, how many how many people would make sure I have food? A lot of people. Can I, I mean, just come on. Like, okay, if I need, a, a, there's an emergency and I need to drop off Titus somewhere. How many people's house could I drop Titus off to? A lot of them. Yeah, I can keep going. We can fill in the blank. Your circumstances have much less to do with happiness when you're exercising biblical community. Wonderful. Well, speaking of exercising biblical community, we have application questions mm. this week. Any direction with these questions? Yeah, biblical direction. Ah. Uh, Man, I I think a lot of these questions, uh, they're right along with the sermon. Uh, I think question number three, talking about the hyper-focus on happiness derived from circumstances. I think define that. What are some ways that we hyper-focus on happiness from circumstantial situations? And how do those things hinder a genuine happiness God desires for every Christian? I think that's a really good question. It's short. And you can spend a little time on it or a lot of time on it. And I just encourage you, have your life group flesh that question out. Uh, and then question number five is good. How does the lie of self-sufficiently self-sufficiency hinder someone's ability to see their great need for God? Really good uh, question to press on in your group. And then the follow-up question there is, how does the same lie hinder your ability to look to God, except perhaps in times of great distress? We kind of touched on that in the sermon. Oftentimes, the only time we go to God is when things are so far out of our hands that we cannot, we know we can't do it. Well, why why should that only happen in times of great distress? Because in times of less distress, you still realize that's the same truth. You can't do anything. Only God can, even when things look good. So don't just exercise dependence on God when you're in times of distress. Exercise dependency on God at all times. 
Awesome. Well, uh, Life Group leaders, uh, there is a meeting coming up March 26, and anything that they'd be looking forward to in terms of future training? Yeah, I actually finished up a training that I'm going to give you guys in April when we're not meeting, but in March 26th, I would love for you guys to even have some questions written up. Even if you want to submit those early, I would love to address questions that you guys are having, maybe challenges you're having in your life group. Go ahead and write those up now so we can be looking and preparing for those uh, questions. We always do a Q&A time, but I would love for you guys uh, to ask some questions that you guys are genuinely dealing with that maybe we can address those a little more in-depth and less off-the-cuff like we normally do. Uh, but even even if uh, even when we do that, I'll have a, a good training for us to uh, learn how to disciple well in our group and even how to manage our own lives in a way that would be helpful for our leadership and for our relationship with God. Send your questions to Hayden at compasshillcountry.org. There you go. There you go. All right, a few announcements. We have our prayer night, our next monthly prayer night, March 19th from 5 to 6.30 p.m. Loving those. I think God is doing a great thing through our prayer uh, ministry here at Compass, so be there at 5 to 6.30. We have our men's breakfast this Saturday at 9 a.m. Pastor Evan will be opening up the word for us there. Invite the men in your life group to that. Our Family Matters Conference on April 15th. Uh, we have 200 people registered for this thing, and uh, we're, we're so grateful for that. And we have great, great guest speakers, great resources for you to take home. Uh, so invite people to register. It's $10 a person. Uh, kids are free. That is, anyone under the uh, under sixth grade is free. But we do need people to serve. So if you would love to serve at this to meet needs in our church so that people can attend this conference, we would love for you to let us know. And we can, you can uh, also let your life group know that we can have people uh, serving this, serving for this event. And then finally, we have our life group off week on March 13th through the 17th. That's spring break. And so we have that week off. Looking forward to you guys getting a little bit of R&R that week. Really enjoy some time together. Maybe go on a little trip. I think Kayla and I will be gone that week. Uh, we'll be in Kansas City. So um, on that note. Leaders, we love you guys. We're thankful for you. We're hoping that this podcast was helpful and beneficial for you as you grow in your faith and lead your life group. 